You're listening to Unfiltered with James O'Brien, brought to you by Joe. Hello and welcome to the latest Unfiltered with me, James O'Brien, joined this week by Jack Munro, who is... Well, known for a variety of reasons, uh, for being a food blogger, for successfully suing Kate Hopkins, of course, um, for her journey out of poverty and her uh, trans status, which in recent years has become quite a big issue for the tabloid media in a way that I have to confess I don't fully understand. In fact, there's a lot about the whole trans issues that I still don't understand, even after interviewing Paris Lees a few episodes ago. So I am really looking forward to this. But but also, I, I mean, I, we don't prepare for interviews on Unfiltered as such, but I generally have a rough idea of where they're going to go. With Jack, I'm, I'm genuinely not sure I do. Can I ask you a weird question to start with? Oh, go on then. What, why, why have I heard of you? Oh, I don't know. Usually people have heard of me because I said something mean about David Cameron once on the internet. Right. Or I sued Katie Hopkins. I know that bit, but let's go back before that. I was the poor kid that made meals out of tins and got a cookbook deal. That, that. Generally, I fall into one of three categories. Everyone said rude things about David Cameron (laughs) on on the internet. Yes, Um, but any one of them gets it thrown back in their face on a near-daily basis. Hopkins is, is, is hopefully yesterday's news, but we'll certainly... Talk about your role in... I've been hoping that for quite some years, actually, yes, we'll, but she's just not going away. Talk about your role in that. <laughs> Let's begin then with the, with the... Because lots of people from working-class backgrounds struggling to hold it together um, exist. Yes. You elected to tell your story when blogging was still a relatively novel concept. Mm-hmm. And, well, you tell me. Well, I mean, I was a single mum on the dole, uh, unemployed, struggling with benefits that were being delayed and suspended and just outright withdrawn. Um, and I'd started to take an interest in local politics because my son's children's centre was being closed down um, at a time where I was looking for employment. So, Which obviously makes finding employment considerably harder than it yeah, would have absolutely, been. Yeah, absolutely, because, yes. I mean, for a start, as a single parent, you're stuck in, I can find a job that starts at half past eight in the morning and finishes at 5.30 if yes. I'm willing to pay for the eight till six childcare. Everywhere then was starting to cotton on to zero-hour contracts and flexible working. You must be flexible within the, the, all seven days of the week, which is impossible when you're a single parent to commit to. And then my nearest childcare facility was shut down. So I was like, right, I'm going to start going to local council meetings and seeing who these people are that make these decisions. What, that was, negatively what year was this? Where are we now? When, Ooh, 2011. Okay. 2011, 2012. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to believe I'm still going, really, but I'm I'm, I'm here. Um, yeah, you are definitely As I started off sort of yelling <laughs> through the letters page of the local newspaper. So you just I got engaged I just, in I the most traditional up, sense a, of all. There was a um, front page of a newspaper, my local newspaper, the South End Echo, and it was a local councillor who said, druggies, drunks and single mums are ruining our high street. I was outraged. Now, people are now familiar with my levels of outrage. When I get going, I get going. I wrote a letter to the South End Echo that was so long and so furious, I had to print it in three parts <laughs> across three consecutive days. And um, one of my friends who works there uh, said, well, have you thought of writing a blog? A blog? A what? What's a blog? I thought it sounded like, you know, I thought it, it sounded like, yeah, trivial and silly. Yeah. So it's like a diary online. And I was like, as someone who kept teenage diaries, as you know, as a teenager, I was like, "This is this seems therapeutic. Seems like a good way to get things out." So I started going to council meetings because I wanted to see who these people were that were shutting our libraries, shutting our children's centres, how they came to the decisions that negatively impacted mine and other people's lives. So I was doing local politics basically yes. from the public gallery. The only person there, nine times out of ten, apart from the local press journalist. Mm. And um, started writing about it. And that evolved into um, getting pieces in the paper. Sometimes they wouldn't have a political journalist to send um, because we all know local news is under an awful lot of pressure now um, financially. Um, So they would just give me a ring and say, do you mind covering it? And so then that led to I was writing recipes online at the same time uh, under um, the same banner under the same banner it was a and it started off as here's the local council meeting and then here's the local council meeting and a soup I made so it's a little bit it's a little bit of a hybrid I remember being quite annoyed actually um I get annoyed all the time but it's always very minor it's always over very quickly um, I can't decide if that's my Irish temperament or my Greek temperament or some <laughs> awful tornado in the middle of the two. Um, but 
but I'm quite annoyed because I'm sitting there writing these long pieces about yes. like local councillors and like doing real electoral analysis and spreadsheets, love a spreadsheet, and you know, voter predictions and stuff, yes. you know, really getting into it. And then I put a recipe up for carrot soup and it got about ten times the views of uh, anything I'd ever written about South End politics. And yes. I was like, Well, that's rude. Yes. And then I was like, oh, hang on, it seems that there's a, an appetite for this, a market for this. So I started to write more about what I was cooking. And it, none of it was contrived. It was literally, this is the change I found down the back of the couch. This is what I made with it. I look back, my photos from the time were atrocious. They were taken on a like rubbish little phone camera in but a touched, poorly knit flat. It cut uh, through, something yeah, happened. Yeah. When did you realise something was happening? I wrote a blog post in July 2012 called Hunger Hurts. Yes, and it was just the end of my tether. I was suicidal. I was absolutely, completely depressed. Not a word I use lightly. Um, I was trying to cobble together meals to feed a very young child that would give him just enough nutrition to get through the day without attracting the attention of social services or any other any other caregivers. Because my parents were foster carers, so I grew up with a household of a revolving door of children who had been taken away from their parents. So I always had this fear from right when I was pregnant, if I don't do right by this child, he's going to get taken away. An irrational fear, but I grew up with nearly 100 children with various backgrounds, and some of the reasons they'd been taken into care seems to me, as just a child myself at yeah. the time, spurious, you okay. know, because we obviously weren't told too much. Sure. So, so you, you process get, it in, in... Oh, this, in, in... this child's with you because his mum only fed him pot noodles, and that okay. sticks, and you're like, of course. well, no, I can't, but There'll as an adult now, you know, there's a lot more to it than that. But for so me, I had a very unreasonable fear of, yes. if I tell anyone how bad it is, he'll get taken away. Okay. So my blog was pretty much anonymous. None of my friends read it. None of my family read it. My readers were scattered up and down the country. There were people who didn't know me. And then I woke up one morning and a couple of days after I'd written Hunger Hurts and it had gone absolutely viral. And I was terrified because I suddenly started getting all these questions and all this attention and all this negative attention as well as people going, oh, God, what can I do to help? What do we mean by viral, Jack? I mean, how, how, how are you gauging it? I think it? two million people read it. Shut up. From 17 readers. Seriously? Yeah, so, so people just started boom. spreading it around and it yeah. touched so many nerves. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's now studied at GCSE. It's in a mock exam at GCSE. It's as, me on one what? page and Sylvia Plath on the other. Is it really? I don't know how not to write your English exam. No, it's clearly silly, but it <laughs> um, is it's the think, power um, of, of first-person narrative. Probably. I will look back now. Or despair. And I look at it now and I think, I look at it and it's so poorly written. And I'm like, oh, God, I wish they'd given me a chance to edit it before they stuck it in the AQA mock examination paper. <laughs> but that perhaps was part of the reason why it, why it, why yeah, it affected it people, because there was no contrivance. Yeah, it's about storytelling and about communication and about, um, you know, about... It was about, basically about that. Um, right, let's go back before that. So now I know where the, where the sort of Jack Munro public figure. Yes, that's how it was boomed into life, really. But, but before that, it was, the blog was called A Girl Called Jack. Yes. I, I am of a generation that... I'm of an outlook that is open to learning new things mm -hmm. and changing, but I'm of an age that means trans growing up was, mm -hmm. not, was not anything that we even addressed. Also, probably going to an all-boys school run by Benedictine monks meant it was even less likely <laughs> to pop up on our radar. So I, I know that you refer to yourself as they rather than he or she. Yeah, I'm okay with the she, um, but if we're talking about gender issues, I prefer to use the pronoun they because I think a lot of people are gender neutral, gender queer, non-binary, like myself. Um, and I think as somebody with a public platform, I've got a bit of a duty to sort of get yes. the they out there, if okay. that makes sense. Yes. Um, so I, 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 don't lose not... my, you know, I don't lose my shit if somebody she's me, you know, because I, I look and at myself. And when did you make woman. this decision? About two years ago, October so, 2015. So when you started doing the blog, you thought of yourself as a girl. Yeah, it was a girl called Jack. I just didn't. But for me, there was always that play on words. It's like a boy named Sue, isn't it? Yeah, it's yes. a girl called Jack. It yes. was like a girl with didn't a write boy's that, you know, name. Someone else wrote it. I only found out last week. I always thought Johnny Cash wrote that himself. Oh, no. Yeah, don't so tell I've ruined me that. it for you. Oh, no. I, 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 I may have got that wrong. You'll be telling look. me next that David Attenborough is not a very nice man. Don't be ridiculous. Don't be ridiculous. So do you understand why. I mean, look, people in, in the right-wing media are always looking for targets and always looking for... Mm. for so that, that's a slightly different question to decent people who struggle to understand what you've just said so casually. People who aren't looking for 
um, hooks upon which to hang their bigotries or to indulge mm. in otherness. They just grew up in a world where everyone was either a boy or a girl. They yeah. thought. And now they're being told that their world was never like that. No, I think there's a, a lot greater understanding now of um, of gender and sex being two separate things. So sex is broadly it's your biology it's your chromosomes it's your you've got xx chromosomes xy chromosomes not points something like 0.7 percent of people have got chromosomal differences mm. so they don't fit exactly on the xxxy spectrum but that's what we understand to be female yes. xx chromosomes male xy chromosomes a little bit of variance deviation in there gender however is a social construct it's a series of behaviors that is um, put upon us from a very young age, you know, from man up, or girls don't sit like that. Mm. From a very young age, girls wear frilly, pretty things, My Little Pony, pinks and sparkles. Boys play with action men. And, and so it's a very set series of behaviours ascribed to individual sexes, but that behaviour is what we would call gendered behaviour. So your sex can be fixed. My sex isn't going to change. Sure. I can't. I can't just get in there and fidget about with my chromosomes and you know poke them into a Y shape. Sound and nor like would Russell I want Brandon to. You, you know, <laughs> get in there fidget. It has. Where the comparison has previously has been drawn. We have been seen in a room together. We've both got the same editor. That would be a scoop. Oh, we've, we, honestly, it? we've got the same editor at um, Bluebird. Carol, she's really lovely. But the pair of us in a room together both suddenly just went full Essex. And Fantastic. we're like, yeah, 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 how you doing? I'm Russell, I'm Jack. Oh, it was Love so it. funny. He was but, the first, um, first guest on Unfiltered, actually. He's so actually, he's brilliant. I him. absolutely love him. So this is nature-nurture, um, simply put. Yeah, basically, nature language. versus nurture. Yeah. And so non-binary, so gender as a binary, if we, if we throw sex out of it for a minute... Little flappy hands. Gender as a binary, you'd have very female gendered behaviour and very male gendered behaviour. And female female behaviour is typically seen to be nurturing and caring and and you know caring professions and mm. a very like gentle, very sort of a very specific way of being that's soft and sweet and gentle and light and you know sugar and spice. Yeah. And male behaviour is seen to be slightly more aggressive, arrogant. Um, forthright, sort of asking for what you want, mm. um, being quite demanding. Neither of these things are actually typically male or female traits because you can... I would say that I am quite masculine yes. in my mannerisms, in how I rugby scrum my way through commuters when I need to catch a train in the morning, in, you know, yes. in the way that I am quite confident and quite, you know... Not defensive, but I'm. I don't. I don't take shit. I don't suffer fools. Sure. I don't sit down and go. Oh, what would you like for dinner? I'm like, yes. well, this is this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm. Do you know, this is who I am. And I've been often described by my peers as quite masculine. And part of me thinks, is that because my formative jobs? I was in a fire service control room. My father was a paratrooper. Is, is it because I was brought up in a very ordered, military, structured, masculine-dominated mm. household? Or is that because I've, you know, because I've got, not abnormalities, but um, it, for me, is that nature or is that nurture or is that a conscious choice that I've made? I can't, I don't know, you I can't don't answer that question. You know any more than anybody else does. But you can, that those behaviours are just what is put upon us from a very early age. Um, my son, when he was about three years old, he went to um, a children's centre and he... I went to pick him up from from the children's centre and it was a Montessori one, it was mm. the one that was closest to us. It was supposed to be very open-minded yes. and very lovely and very, like, allowing children to develop at their own pace and explore themselves and all of that stuff. And I was like, it's just up the road, that's why he went. I didn't really... Yeah. I was like, looks nice, it's clean, you've got qualifications, lovely, and you go, yeah. off you go, see you later. Um, but they pulled me to one side... Um, when I went to pick him up one day, they went, oh, I, just want to, I just want to let you know that um, Jonathan wanted to wear a princess dress at nursery today. It's like, why are we whispering? <laughs> She's like, well, we, we didn't know 
Yes. He didn't know what. He wants to play fancy dress. He wants a fancy dress as an astronaut. He's probably never going to be an astronaut, is he? He wants fancy dress as a dragon. He's not going to be a dragon. He wants fancy dress as a princess. Let him fancy dress as a princess. That's not me being all gay and liberal and all. He wants to stick a sodding dress on, fine. If he wants me to buy him a dress, fine. He doesn't. He's a boy. He's a boy boy. But there would have been other parents if they'd found out that their boy had been wearing a princess's dress, then the parents would have been crossed. Now, really? In the years that we're in. But yeah, I guess someone look at Lewis Hamilton the other day. And now making a point, nobbing around Disneyland with his nephew in a dress. You're like, yeah, look at your lovely PR stunts. He's learning, isn't he? It's better, better, better to have acknowledged it rather than Mm. brushed it under the carpet. Yeah, maybe. 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 We're jumping ahead. Take me back a bit further then to school. Dad, after the army, Dad joined the fire service. Mum was a nurse. So you've got a strong public sector yeah, tradition. Yeah, so my dad, my dad was in the army and then went in the fire service um, and my mum was a nurse. So strong working class. As much as everyone tries to make out that I was brought up with a silver spoon in my mouth, uh, my dad was a fireman and my mum was a nurse and then she slipped while holding a patient when I was about four years old right. and was disabled um, ever since. So we had one parent on absolute pittance benefits before yes. DLA was really a thing and my dad... Working as a fireman, basically living in Southend, working in Brentwood, hitchhiking up the A one two seven, not joining us for dinner in the evenings because him and mum of later found out didn't have dinner. I think people try. They were so that, there are narratives in the media that try to paint that my family are loaded or were loaded, or and I'm just looking at it and I go, that's not what I remember. We went and stayed in my nan's house in Belfast, and that was our summer holiday. Or an old aunt in Plymouth, and we'd drive for six and a half hours down to Plymouth to go and stay with an old aunt. There's a subtext to that coverage, which is if you are articulate and intelligent and opinionated, then you can't be poor. Well, I'm not really articulate, but I talk enough that some of the stuff that I say probably makes a bit of sense somewhere. And was it always like that? What were you like at ten? Bookish, quiet, very not very confident round jam jar glasses and my mum cut my fringe, you know? <laughs> <laughs> One of them kids. Um, <laughs> and then and then secondary school, you went to grammar school. I went to grammar school. Did and you... again, if I'd have known that 15 years later I'd be having to defend a decision my working class parents quite, made for me. The, the, I'm just going to 11. interrupt <laughs> My wife tells me I interrupt too much on this. No, so, feel so free. So I'll be careful. But you've, you've three or four times now, you, you've, you've referred to being misrepresented in the media. You've referred, it's happened so, quite a lot. I, I know it has, but I also know that when I was preparing to meet you today, I, I, I think I thought your skin was thicker. These things have it's, hurt it's you, quite, haven't they? It is, I am, I am fairly thick-skinned, but anything about my family right. really, really annoys me because they didn't ask for this. No. They didn't ask for everything they've ever done or every decision they or I have done to be put under a spotlight. I'm because the one that got a, the, the book deal. I'm the one that got the... I'm the one that gets a knob around at the swanky parties and sit on Russell Brand's knee. Do you know what I mean? Yes. I'm the one that has the nice life. Yes. Um, and they're the ones that get dragged through comment sections all where were you when she was starving? Where we? I didn't tell them. That's where they were. So that, I took me eleven plus. Yeah. I went to a primary school that has been in special measures for the last god knows how many years. It's a you know bumfuck primary school up the top of the road basically that we could walk to, and I was the only one from my primary school to get into the grammar school in that year the only kid because my parents having not much else used to sit down with me and my brother and taught us from a very young age to spell they bought us books that were well beyond our years they taught us to read before we went to school because we didn't have anything else we couldn't go to fancy clubs we couldn't go on fancy holidays we could sit down and look at the cards my mum had made to put on the wall with the spellings on it at the age of four because they wanted us to do well and um so I went to the grammar school. I came some 80-something in my 11-plus that year and I was shipped off to the grammar school and thrown into a world where I was the poor kid at the grammar school. Right. So all my friends were going to... So you hadn't stood out at to, primary school? I hadn't stood out at primary school because it was opposite a council estate yeah. and all the kids from the estate went to primary so school and I fitted in marvellously. you became conscious of not fitting in? Very much so, um, because everybody else had... Their mums had lilac, Mercedes 
soft top convertibles and holidays in Tenerife and all designer clothes. And <laughs> me and my brother would go to school in the back of my dad's white fire brigade Ford Transit van, sitting on boxes in the back in the dark, holding a strap and <laughs> making park around the corner. We'd hop out of it like we were in the A team. <laughs> you know, uh, w- the school was six and a half miles away from the house. And sometimes me and my brother would walk home from school because we knew that mum and dad didn't have very much money. So if they couldn't drop us off or pick us up, there's a pair of us, us against the world, walking home from school. Two hours, we were super fit. We spent a pound on chips, canned the bus fare back, and we'd and we'd walk back from school. And it's such a different picture of the ones, of the one that people think that I had. Yes. It's like, well, no, that was it. And I left school at 16 and I went and worked in a ship shop and that was the end of that. So it's a, it's a, it's a, I mean, that education aside, that, that environment at home, an environment of learning, an environment mm. of intellectual inner life, that is at odds with the modern perception of what the working class should be like, isn't it? It's a very strange thing that's happened in the last 50 years. If you go back to Robert Trussell even further, mm. and you have this notion, or even Orwell, the, the idea is that if you're poor and working class, then you are a bit thick and yes. a bit uninterested in the world outside. It's one of the yes. great triumphs of the of the right wing to somehow portray working class people as being thoughtless and often racist yeah. and blaming all of their problems upon simple lies yeah. rather than complicated truths. And that's perhaps what you challenge, what you fly in the face of. And I think they don't like it. No, they don't. It's, my dad is a very well-read man. Do you know your place? Do you not know your place, Yeah, well, yeah, precisely. My dad is a very well-read man, and he, he was... And, and do you know what firemen often are? Yes, I know. And so you look back, and you look back in the day, it's from all that time spent sitting around the mess room, whereas yes. now you've got to go out and do community fire safety and fit smoke alarms and deal with, you know, no, make sure elderly downside. people have got fire escapes in their pool, houses. You could read a book. Yeah, you could. You could sit around, you could play pool, you could read a book, you could have chats, you had a bit yeah. of banter, you had a bit of, uh, you know, you had camaraderie, you had time for decent discussion whereas now everything's got to be cleaned and every household in your area's got to be visited and cladding's got to be taken off high-rise flats now and you know and all, all of that whereas before you had time to sit down and and you know yes. spend some time so, so that was the yourself. home environment and it was in. very much I, I was in an environment of books and um, my mum is an avid charity shop shopper so we would we would trawl around charity shops with our pocket money and buy books so many books and yet school and, let you down and so, well, I just didn't. I didn't fit in, so I started to drop out. Sure. Um, and you came out at fifteen. Uh, yeah. As gay. I left. Yeah, I came out as gay at school. And then left school at sixteen. Um, but we just we just bought books, and I was always nicking my dad's books: philosophy, politics, psychology. And I look now, and I think, uh, I I used to think I don't know where I get my politics from, and then. My dad was an FBU union rep and, you know, he bought me Jean-Jacques Rousseau for my 16th birthday and I think I think I probably know where I got my politics from, actually. It's nurture, not nature. (laughs) There's a definite element of prodding me down the path, whereas my brother is the most right-wing, conservative... Is he really? Yeah, very much so. We nearly had a dust-up on Boxing Day. Yes. Proper. Well, I think <laughs> that's tradition, his, isn't it, at Christmas? His admiration for Ian Duncan Smith. And I was like, oh, no, I've had a, a sherry. And I was like, let me out, yeah. <laughs> I think the picture wasn't eggnog. <laughs> but, but, yeah, I think partly does it to wind me up, but partly, you know, we are both two very different sides of the really? same coin. But uh, it's how just does right. he? How does he... Pro- I mean, how does he... I mean, you don't have to answer this, because, as you say, it's, it's not... They haven't signed up for any of this. But how does he, or did he, process the portrayal of you as a sort of left-wing hero when his politics might have had him... If he really is an Ian Duncan Smith fanboy, he'd have been a lot closer to the Daily Mail world view of you than... I think he's in the RAF. Right. I think his biggest concerns about me in the press is his mate jacking off to be a picture in the paper. So I'm (laughs) just to wind him up. So (laughs) I think we have that good political banter, but I think his most problem is, we saw you on the telly again. I have to keep telling my friends you're a lesbian. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's healthier. Just a bit like, well, I I just look like you, but a bit thinner. I mean, you might want to have a word with your friends. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, crikey, stay out of uni. Yes, exactly. I'm getting a picture now of uh, of a very bright 16 year old who 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 was bought out of a box. I was born, yeah, Yeah. I was born out of my box at school. When I um, started primary school, um, I was four or five years old at the reading age of an 11 year old yeah. and my mum was called into the school over it because they were furious with her. She loves this story, and she, she sat there 
Uh, so they, so they turned around and they said, oh, well, we, we're going to have to bring her down a peg or two. And my mum was like, you'll do no such thing. You know, you're absolutely not. Oh, well, she's raced ahead of everybody else. And my mum was like, why has it got to be a race to the bottom? And how can that be a bad standards? thing? You know, of course, if you'd gone to a school like the ones I went to, you'd have been put on a gifted child programme. I was told at 11 when I went to my secondary school that I should be in a special needs school because I had autism. And my mum refused point blank. She was like, you will integrate my child, basically. You will, there is, she's smart, but she needs to be kept occupied. And that's something that's stayed with me, you know. I need to be kept occupied. I get up to all sorts if I'm bored. You only have to follow me on Twitter to see that that's when funny. when the boredom sets I'm in, not, I'm like, I'm starting a row. <laughs> can, I, can I have a row with and, Max? And you're very hard to pin down, both on, on Twitter and in life and in this, and in this room now, because I've got so many different disparate strands that I now want to try to, to, to begin to tie together. The blog happens by accident because yep. you've become politically engaged in a way that you weren't previously, but you were intellectually engaged. You just got bored and let down by the formal education system. Yeah. But you're not, you're not, I mean, you're essentially an autodidact, not self-taught, but you've, you've absorbed, not unlike Russell Brand, you've absorbed, because the education system has let you down, you've absorbed information, knowledge, learning from as many different sources as you can. Yes. So you have intellectual confidence, which is rare for someone from your class, mm -hmm. from your background, and... And suddenly all of these planets begin to align when you write that one blog post in which, and I'll read you a bit back. This, oh, good. <laughs> this, this morning, small boy had one of the last Weetabix mashed with water with a glass of tap water to wash it down with. Where's mummy's breakfast, he asks. All big, big blue eyes and two-year-old concern. I tell him I'm not <laughs> hungry, but the rumblings of my stomach call me a liar. But these are the things that we do. You can write, Jack. You can really write. Thank you. I wrote that on my mobile phone in the middle of the night, absolutely furious. And I was going to write that, give my son to his father and top myself in a bath. That was my plan. That was my game plan. Because you were at the I end. I was at the end of my tether. And who were you furious with? The woman who kept phoning me to say, I'm sorry, your housing benefit's been stopped. We just don't know why. And I'm like but you need to find out why. And once I screamed at her down the phone, I was like, I'm not proud of it, but I was at the absolute end of my tether. My housing benefit had been stopped, which meant that my letting agency charged me a late payment charge again. My housing benefit was only 70% of my rent anyway, so I was using housing benefit and child tax credits and child benefit to pay my rent. So when one of those payments slipped, I fell even further behind. I had about £1,000 in rent arrears, which doesn't sound like very much, yes, but it's an awful lot when you get £160 a week in housing benefit so you've got to get eight weeks worth of housing benefit now but you've missed one payment and they can give you a section 21 and evict you you're constantly chasing your tail you're making pittance payments just to knock something off the debt in the hope that they won't kick you out and I was furious with the woman on the phone who just repeatedly kept saying, I'm really sorry Miss Monroe but I just don't know why and I went to her do you know what I know what you earn I know what you earn. You earn about £25,000 a year and you've got a job and your job is to sit on the phone and tell me that you don't quite know why you're ruining my life but you can't fix it and you won't fix it. And you earn twenty five grand a year for that to casually evict me from my home off the other end of the phone. Why have you got a job and I haven't got a job? But <laughs> we know like, we don't, We know part of the answer to that. Part of it, I mean, I mean, that's a computer says no moment that you've described. But it was so often, though, 17 times in a year and a half. So... Where was your son's father for, for, for during this period of... He's a brilliant man. He is. And he's, yeah, he's always... We've always done basically 50-50 childcare between us. Um, but also he has a job and a life. Yes. Um, so and he you had a job and a life, which you gave yes, up I to had look to, after yes. the boy because otherwise no one else would have been able to. Exactly, so, because I couldn't have asked his dad to cover my shifts because in the fire service, two days, two nights, four days yes, off. it's crazy. So you essentially, I'd essentially be asking him to do five straight days in a row plus the day after my night shifts because I'd have yeah. been inhuman. So actually then I'm saying, oh, will you do six days on, two days off and yeah. fatherhood, thanks. Yeah, yeah. So that's not, that's not why, that's not why you have children. Um, and I, yeah, and he's always been brilliant. Yeah. Um, I've kept him out of the press spotlight because I don't, again, these people didn't ask for all this. I get to have all the joy. They don't get to get doorsteps. No, I understand I've that. furiously I'm glad chased journalists yes. off both his doorstep and my mother's doorstep before and just been like absolutely no you don't get to do this um they are they've got their own children now they're entitled to a private life 
and they're entitled to live a normal, decent life. I mean, yeah. what, he knocks me up once. He doesn't have to get hunted down for the next 18 years over that. The poor sod had to put up with sort of waking up with me one morning. He doesn't have oh, to... Really <laughs> he doesn't have to sort of pay for that, that for the next 20 years. Forgive me for sounding like my granddad, but does that mean you're bisexual? No, it means that I had a bit of a... A bit of a... What would this be like, sexual? Okay. <laughs> anyway, yes. right. Exploratory moment. Curiosity. Yeah, you know, else. it was like, you know... I'm, Which ended I mean, in, in many ways in the best well, possible he was one way. Of the, he was one of my best friends. And right. sometimes you're at a wedding and you have a few ciders and you're looking at your best friend through some new lenses and you're like, <laughs> hello. <laughs> and, um, and, um, and then you make a baby. Um, yes. <laughs> and that's, and that's and, that. And, and you don't live happily ever after. Because <laughs> but we do, because never... do you know what? We've never had any animosity between us. We've been... We've been the greatest of friends for years. We continue to be very good friends. We've never had a row. And, and for two people, quite headstrong, stubborn people, raising a child yeah, together, absolutely. but separately. We've never had a row. We've never fallen out. We've, you know, we're up front with each other when things piss us off. We, you know, we, we do the best we can for the little person who's in between us. And, and that's fine. It and is. the only time we've ever really fallen out is when The Sun printed an awful article in which they claimed that I'd made all sorts of spurious claims about him being a terrible father. And, and um, I found out that day that he reads The Sun. <laughs> like, might not have slept with you if I'd have known. Um, <laughs> but we're still talking and it's fine. Well, where, and again, you're doing it. You're dragging me off in different directions. <laughs> where would The Sun have got that idea from? I mean, would they... They, they just meandered some things that I said and made them... I, I find tabloid press dumbs me down for their readers quite a lot. Right. And, I, and I was with my other half a couple of days ago and I showed her an article that had been written about me in the mirror. And she went, you don't talk like that. I was like, no, I know. I, and I, but I wanted her to see. Because yeah. we've always had a zero Google clause for each other. We've always been like, no, we don't Google each other. We are in the relationship that yeah. we're in and we don't Google each other. But I showed her this because I wanted her opinion on it because I was like, maybe I do just sound dumb. Um, but they hadn't. They'd really dumbed down basically the way that I talk. And I know I'm common and I've got an Essex accent or whatever, but there was no words of more than two syllables in that whole... Are you sure article. that's you and not that's being patronised and not their readers? No, it's their readers. Yes. They, in that article as well, they insisted on calling me Jackie because they right. said their readers won't understand that you're a girl called Jack. And they can't explain it. Yeah, and I was like, well, you could just use my name. And that's the mirror, which is kind I know, of it the was, side of the angels. It was, <laughs> but yeah, and, I was just, and that was my first real foray with the press. So the tabloid press do tend to... Like any newspaper, really, they take your story, but then they mush it through their agenda. And so turn it, comes it into out. how do we get the biggest emotional reaction yeah, out of this, regardless exactly. of the truth, out of their readership. whether so it's hate or The Sun didn't or... want, oh, single mum gets booked in off 9p burgers. They wanted a feckless father in the background. And, oh, you know. I see. Yes, and of course like, they but, but there wasn't one. My There's dad no wasn't. To, so, so His dad happens? wasn't. <laughs> There's no one to get cross with in this story of this... Yeah, yeah, they need so, they need something other rather than just a, a sort of working class girl the makes good because they keep telling their readers that the system is great and yeah. the only people who are um, ruining it are those taking the piss and so surrounding. I demanded the tapes yeah. I didn't get them but I I had a furious email exchange with the um, guy who'd written the piece and then I forwarded that whole email exchange to my son's dad and went look this there is you there you go and, and I'm really sorry. And please tell your friends to stop slagging me off on Facebook, thanks. <laughs> and that's, and that's, you back, know, and back that's to fine. The, back to the bleak moment when you were yep. on your phone and you were, I didn't realise, forgive me, that you were, um, you know, poised to, to hurt yourself. That's OK. It didn't, it didn't work like most things in my life. But I did it half-assed and so I was still here. <laughs> what did, how did the fight back begin, if that's the right word to use? It, people started listening and then I realised I had more to say. And so I carried on and carried on because I was suddenly like, oh, God, people are listening. I can't do myself in now, can I? Because someone's finally paying attention. I didn't want the attention. If I'd wanted attention, I'd have made a porno. Do you know what I mean? It's just not... You wanted, you wanted <laughs> but to, I, be, to be heard. But I just... Well, I wanted to say the things that were bottled up inside yeah. and I've worked out through um, quite a lot of therapy that that's quite a helpful thing to do is For not sure. carry around your darkness inside you and mull it over because it grows and grows into a, a, an uncontrollable monster it's just get it out somewhere whether that's writing down or going for a run or writing a blog be factual 
But don't be afraid to be emotional, but just get out. And in passing, I would note that the mental health issues, self-harm issues that a lot of trans people have to cope with, mm -hmm. I mean, the statistics are inarguable on this, are considerably more likely to suffer from... That, that, that tallies with what you're saying, because you're growing up yep. not fitting in to the yep. paradigm, the binary paradigm, not quite understanding that you don't fit into mm -hmm. a binary, not even knowing what words like binary paradigm mean. Oh. <laughs> and that means you are, from a very, very early age, you're screwing down yep. your own consciousness, and, and that's why you need to unscrew it. Yeah, and why you need to get things out. It's one of the things that I know that people, that there's a real there's a real horrible mockery of um, trans communities online, yes. people like Tumblr trans communities. People are really, like, really um, patronising about it and disconcertingly so because when I was a teenager, any any online forum or group that you could join, whether that was for Dungeons & Dragons or mm. whether it was for, you know, Star Trek appreciators of a female variety um, or anything that you definitely had nothing to do with me was not no, no historical search posts available there. Um, but, you know, anything really... Of a community coming yes. together as a community because there are no longer really community clubs and community groups in the way that when I was a kid you'd go to girls brigade or mm. you'd go you know you'd, you'd there's no there's no longer really places where you can meet people who have shared interests other than a book club a pottery club or online yes. um, and so you you gravitate towards online you can be more yourself um, online, really, I think, than you can be in a room with someone because there's no awkwardness, there's no social awkwardness there. Um, you can just be yourself, and obviously, there's the other side of that where you can be anyone you want to be. Yes, and you can but be that much allows than you would ever be in real life as but well. But that also allows you to explore other parts of your identity and other parts of your personality in a place where there's no real recourse for that. There's no real comeback for it. So I wish, you know, I wish I had had the communities that are out there now there's a lot of negative stuff on the internet but there's also a lot of a lot of it's like one big common room right. and and the key word in that is common you can find you can what find you people with which common. you share common ground obviously that leads to sort of terrible things as well um you know like right-wing communities people right. who would yes, normally have awful mean. thoughts of yes. their own in their bedrooms can now find other people to validate those awful yes. thoughts but on the whole i think um communication online is a is a positive thing especially for young trans people well, who the are the more alienated for, you are from the from the yeah. status quo the more valuable that the more valuable that connection with a stranger is yeah. becomes so then it seems as if this was the first time that you felt that you belonged to a community when you started writing your blog and when it started, not on the trans side of it, but just on the everything else side of it. You, 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 yeah. you felt valued. You realised that you're going to be modest now, I know, already, <laughs> but you people were valuing you and learning from you and, and that hadn't happened to you before. No, not really. And what I'd... Because I'd always been the outsider and always yes. been the underdog I'd been the one that was thrown down the stairs at school I was, I was that kid mm. um, you know I've got a birthmark on my leg that's 11 port wine stain birthmarks all about size for 50 pps and all through um, senior school I was backwards and forwards to Great Ormond Street Hospital having it lasered off. It didn't work. The things are stubborn as I am. It's still there. Um, but I couldn't learn to swim when right. my peers were learning to swim. So I still can't swim right. um, because as an adult, you feel like a right hit in a pool full of like five-year-olds. Firstly, you feel a bit odd the older you get and the hairier you get and the more hirsute you get, the less likely it is you want to go and get in a swimming pool with a load of children yes. and go, teach me to swim. Yeah. I look at all these babies doing this really simple thing I can't do. So there were lots of things that I couldn't do at school that everybody else just did. And now I'm like, I'm nearly 30 and I still can't swim and I'm fine with that. I just live right by the open water. There's no, nothing and can go found, wrong here. You found lots of things um, that, that, that you can't can <coughs> I found things I can do. And the first time I got a letter from a reader, like a thank you card, I didn't know what to do with myself. I was working at the local paper and they sent it via the local paper. And I felt like a fraud. Someone had suddenly written to me to say, your recipes and your writing has changed my life. Yes. And I was like, no, no, this can't be for me. This can't be for me. But that, that must have been part of the reason for this doing it, oddly. Me. 
I understand is, what you're saying. And now I continue... Now I have over a 1,000 of those letters in A4 lever arch files in my living room, and I keep every single one because when people online are telling me to kill myself because I'm worthless and I'm useless and my recipes are shit, I just go and I pick one out, I sit down at the table and I go, I'm valued, what I do matters, people appreciate me, this is nice. Okay, that's enough of that. But it's a, yeah, it's a, a thing. Yeah, it's a, it's a positive reinforcement thing that what I do has an impact somewhere on someone, and so I will continue to do it until, until I no longer get messages from people saying thank you for teaching me to cook, or thank you for being a voice for people like me, or thank you for standing up for trans people, or you know all the all the letters I get like daily. I don't print out all the emails and stuff because there will just be too many. And I've started to accept it now. I've started before. I was always like, every single one was like it was burning my hand. I'd open it up and be like, ah, mail, mail from a stranger. And it would it would terrify me because I'd be like, I can't live up to your expectations. Please don't put me on a pedestal. Please don't try and make me the voice for your people because I don't even know who I am, let alone how I can speak for you. And now I just go, if what I say resonates with people and what I do helps people, I will continue to do it. And there's an allegory there for, for your life, in a way, with the, with the move from the blogosphere, which I could see feeling to you as if you were dancing with nobody watching, mm. to suddenly... Realising you're dancing in a fish tank that's suspended <laughs> above the shard or something, and going, ah, in your underpants. Yes. <laughs> going, right, so, so shit. Just, just, just talk me through that, <laughs> from that, that, that horribly bleak night... And then writing, um, and you wrote about things that, again, uh, some journalists have subsequently, some right-wing newspapers have subsequently chosen to be sceptical about, about selling your phone or your DVD or turning off the fridge. um, Because it's empty anyway. (laughs) Turning off the hot water. And then, I still do. Do you know what? I'd, just I'd, because you're because you're conscious of the money. And yeah, it's a absolutely. Waste not to. I'm on a gas key meter, and I'm fanatical about it. I flick my heating off at night. I just turn it on for an hour in the morning and an hour in the evening. Mm. And it's if it's if if the house is cold, it's cold. Right. You know, I wear jumpers. I've got two on at the moment. I'm like, no, this is fine. And um, you know, if it's a running well, joke with guests. Yeah, I don't have not. hot water all the time. I have hot water to have a shower in the morning and do the washing up in the afternoon. You turn a tap on at mine, the water comes out cold. It's a bloody luxury yeah, to have hot water You can have a combi time. boiler. I'm not, I don't want it to go or do the boys' hall. It's, you could have a combi boiler and then it only like turns on when you turn it. No, I know. I'm, just, I, I'm not going to give you lessons on plumbing. Why do I have hot water coming out of my tap? Oh, no, it's all right. You're not, you're yeah, not yeah, being no, profligate. I'm just like, well, do you know, it's, it's fine. It's, like, it's a luxury. No, I get, I get that. So I when, go, when, go. when did you realise... I know two million for the for the for the big one for the hunger hurts one. Yeah, well, should we make sure that people understand that's readers, not pounds? Uh, <laughs> so if I yes, have two million pounds, I'd be skyping this from a beach it? somewhere. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> if um, I had two hundred pounds, I'd be skyping this from a beach somewhere. And then it then it became a living. Yes, but not overnight. No, it could gradually sort of my readership maintained not the levels that it did with Hunger Hurts, no. but I continued to write about politics. But I started to look at politics on more of a national scale because I suddenly realised all my readers weren't in South End on Sea. Yes, and as brilliant as the like Development Control Committee for you know for the local borough council probably is, it's probably not that interesting to that many people. Um, so I started to write about politics nationally, but I kept my focus really on food and money-saving tips. Mm. And not in a way that, you know, a newspaper will just pull it out of thin air every now and again. Quick, sure. scramble around for 10 life hacks that you didn't yes. know that will save you some money. I was going, I've gone to the supermarket with £6 and here's what I've come home yes. with. So it was imperfect because they were. it was my day-to-day life decisions under a, a microscope. Which makes so people it so much more compelling. People scrutinise things all the time that I was right. doing, yes. and, you know. As I found a fiver once down the back of my sofa, and um, instead of putting it with my six pounds and going, I could have 11 pounds for my food yeah. this week, I went and bought two tubs of Ben and Jerry's and yes. sat on the couch and ate them one after the other because I hadn't had ice cream oh, for so long. Course, I hadn't had a treat becomes... for so long. I hadn't had a luxury for so long. 
And um, for Christmas that year, friends and family were like, what do you want? And I was still not really telling them the truth about how terrible things were and how I was living. And so I was like, oh, a Starbucks gift card would be nice because then I can have a hot chocolate with some marshmallows on. And I was like, yes, glorious. You have to spend it in Starbucks. Yeah, absolutely. I have to go and have a treat. I can take the boy. We can have marshmallow swizzles. It's going to be great. Uh, Obviously, it resonated and it touched a lot of people, partly because they'd have been in similar circumstances. How common is your experience as a a single but supported mother, supported as in your boy's father is supportive and and, and you do it together. Uh, It's hard when you're a a liberal but very middle-class person to know what life on benefits is like. You know that it's not the cliche of the Daily Mail portrayal, but you hope that it's not Road to Wigan Pier. And yet a lot of what you've written suggests it's a lot closer to Road to Wigan Pier than it is to... The Daily Mail's feckless work shy layabout narrative, living it up on benefits. One in four single mothers in Britain are living in poverty. And that's that. That is not knowing if you'll be able to eat tonight. Yeah. As long as you've got a bowl of pasta for the baby. One in five parents in Britain has skipped a meal to feed their child this year. One in four single mothers in Britain is living in poverty. 19 million people in Britain are living below the poverty line. And it's a similar number. I think 17 million who couldn't get their hands is. on 100 pounds yes. if they absolutely needed to. That that shocks me. That utterly doesn't shock you. Not in the slightest, because I work with these people day in, day out. And they're people from all walks of life. And so much of the commentary is built upon the presumption, very lazy presumption, but a forgivable one, that there must be something about your life that's a bit like the life of this person writing an article. There must be, there must, but there isn't. I mean, you are talking about this, this, this notion of hand to mouth is a figure of speech in most people's worlds, whereas it's, it's a it matter of fact. It literally is what it is. Hand to mouth, literally. You're walking and, and along once the you've pavement. eaten, there's nothing left. Yeah, you're walking along the pavement looking for pennies. And that I mean, is that's why. Just, that's just shit. Yes, frankly. There, yeah, there is no noble. But you've only got to, and there is no nobility in poverty, none whatsoever. There's nothing, there's nothing. You don't, you don't achieve some kind of Buddhist enlightenment by sitting in a dark flat with your telly that you sold, not no longer in there with the lights off and the heating off, meditating. Right. You're sitting there going, God, this is cold. God, this is Maybe shit. Maybe you didn't meditate I wonder if hard death enough. is warmer. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, <laughs> so this is what's fascinating, isn't it? Is that it's there's a, there's a sense of serendipity or or accident to what happened, but because you were doing it for the, I mean, utterly sincere reasons. This was literally you just giving yourself therapy by writing down what you were Basically. doing, touching people's lives, and then touching them in a very material way by giving them a way to feed themselves and their family without spending every last penny in their pocket or their purse. That that That's really interesting because it means that your recipes are, I hope this doesn't sound too pretentious, but your recipes are actually quite political in a way. Yes, my food's always been political. Um, So um, I insisted with my first cookbook that Hunger Hurts was published in full as an essay in the front of it. And I did the same with my second cookbook. I didn't do the same with my third, but it's um, only because I think that people... Would it's, have it's read there, it, yeah, yes. um, but it does. It's. I mean, it's. I wish I brought a copy with me, but it's. Um, it's very, still very political. There's. There's. It's excoriating in places, in the way that it's. It absolutely skewers like Tory welfare policies, things like that. I say to my editor sometimes, I'm like, Carol, how did we get? How, how are we getting away with this? And she's like, It's what people expect from you. It's what they want from you. So all the political articles I've ever written for The Guardian, for anybody else, have been about food. And all my food is enshrined in politics. It's, you shouldn't have to live this way, but if you find yourself living this way, here is how I can help you. And I've always been, here's what you can donate to food banks. Food banks are the scourge of our society, but here's what you can donate to food banks. Everything is caveated with, this is shit, but I'm offering you a way That's so dangerous though, isn't it? You must worry about this more than I do, because you've just nailed something there which david cameron tried to dress up as the big society things that, oh oh i was oh i'm sure but things, <laughs> yes. things that should be the responsibility <laughs> the responsibility of a civilized society the society should be providing but this curious so-called compassionate conservatism suggests that the volunteer like didn't reese mogg say he found food banks uplifting 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 it's like you've never fucking queued at one have you right. you clearly it's and i and i find it because i've done a lot of talks in parliament about food banks and there was i did a speech at tory party conference 
Um, Why'd, so you go? Why'd you do that? Are you hoping to change people's minds? Are you hoping to open people's they, eyes? I was part of an Oxfam panel. Right. And um, the Tory party conference found out that I was the speaker on the panel because um, they just put representative from Oxfam mm. and I was working with Oxfam at the time. Uh, Tory party conference found out there was me three days before and revoked my pass. They oh, were like, really? no, you're not coming. Gosh. And I was like, well, I am actually. Um, so you, you... And do you... Do you, you What's well, I see light bulbs. Do you see pennies dropping sometimes when you're What happened like that? in that particular circumstance was they took me off the program. Right. They took the panel off the Conservative Party Conference program yeah. so as not to advertise it. Right. So then what happened was they made it something that people wanted to go to and oh, they completely shot themselves in the secret, foot. Secret handshake. So it was it was a fringe event, but it was in um I can't remember which hotel it was in. It was Brighton, not Manchester. And um the it was standing room only, and there were people out the doors. The hotel was had like a circular gallery staircase, and the whole gallery was full of people standing outside to hear me speak. Um, and it was our food bank's a sign of hope or failure. And I absolutely slaughtered the entire Conservative Party in my speech. One of them was um, an MP from Cambridgeshire, and he was like, oh, there's only 464 food bank users in my constituency. And I went nuts at him. I was like, well, what use is the 1% chance when the 1% chance is you? You could say you've got 1% chance of living in poverty, but when I tell you poverty is suicidal ideation, it's freezing, it's starving, it's losing your children, it's malnutrition, it's rickets. How can you be proud that 454 people in your constituency are suffering from this? How dare you even think that just one is okay and he was absolutely mortified <laughs> um i got a standing ovation but what i actually got off the back of that that was more important was um baroness jenkin and jenkin came forward at the end and said what can i do to help now Anne jenkin does the live below the line challenge every year for um, charity lives off a pound a day to raise money. She was their top fundraiser um, until I decided I would do the challenge too and now we sort of, we're neck and Bye neck. Yeah. yeah, and it's good, it's healthy competition because sure. it all raises yeah, money absolutely. for charity. Absolutely, and awareness. Um, and so she um, then went on after a discussion with me to set up the all-party parliamentary group with Frank Field that did the Feeding Britain report. So yes. did its 57... Um, recommendations to Parliament for preventing hunger in Britain. And that was off the back of my speech at Tory Party Conference. So when people say, what can I do, what, why do you bother? You say, well, yeah. it's all very well me writing articles for The Guardian, but I'm preaching to people who already donate to food banks, who already give their, like, give money to Oxfam and to other organisations to try and resolve hunger in Britain. What you need to do is you need to actually go and look at the cause of the problem and shout in its face and say, this was you, what are you going to do about mm. it? And there's... It's... I've never been invited back, <laughs> which is a shame. Because um, I would, I would, I would go back and do it. Because I think that sometimes that's why people say, "Why do you give interviews to the Mail? Why do you talk to the Express?" It's like, well, because they're the people that oh, really need to hear yes, of course. what I have to say. Yeah, well, well, I mean, I've worked for LBC, so yeah, precisely so that I can talk to people that wouldn't exactly hear talk to people who wouldn't naturally tune in and yeah. and just drill in that you know this is a problem, but it's a problem you can help resolve. Because the face that we all want to feel useful we all want to do good i think most of us and if you, you can still offer think people that, even even after the last couple of years internationally not not just in i your own life. have to believe yeah. and genuinely do believe that we are that people are inherently kind and good people who are not people who are unkind to me on the internet for example people who troll me or are rude sometimes i tap in and i go what's wrong What's what? What happened? Yeah. Like who hurt you? I'm sorry about. I'm, I'm sorry about whatever it is in your life that's making you react in this way at the moment. And if there's anything I can do to help, let me know. Which <laughs> I went through a phase of that, and I would get these outpourings from people. Oh, sorry, I'm just going through a divorce at the moment, or you know, or I had an abusive boyfriend and he was also called Jack, and your name was tricky for me. It was the things I've heard from people just by giving them space. Just by to giving be them, vulnerable. going, look, are you okay? And Sarah Silver did something recently when a guy called her a cunt on the yeah. sorry <laughs> on, the, right. uh, on, on the internet and she went back to him yeah. and went like are you okay and and the exchange that followed is very similar to many that I've had in private messages with people through the years so I think that people who are lashing out are 
angry and upset at something. And But most of us are inherently kind and good and given the opportunity to do good and be good and be better, we will take it. And nothing... Sorry, cold coming out in full form. It was my sinuses going, you've spoken enough now. No, 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 we're we're nearly there. (laughs) I think that most people, given the opportunity, would choose to be good people. And you sometimes have to just offer them a very simple way to do that and go look here's what you can donate to a food bank or here's how you can make a change here's how you can make a difference um it's why so many of us get caught by charity high street people with clipboards because we can't when pinned down in the glare of do you want to help children we go yes of course i Um, want to help children of course i want to help children maybe not with your clipboard um i'll do my own bit but yeah the, I guess then that leads us neatly into the into the legal action with with Kate Hopkins because she is perceived very much as the patron saint of the toxicity and the nastiness that you've just described. I, I've noticed yes. a couple of tweets where you have actually attempted to discourage people from gloating over her misfortunes. Yeah, because I think you know she's lost enough. Yeah, both her jobs, most of her dignity, now her house. I think at some point she feeds off this um and and the negativity really just reinforces her martyr status um that then encourages her to pushes her even further to the margins even further to the right wing even further underground and i think i offered after the libel proceedings i said you know i would if if you came around for dinner or we went out for dinner and sat down and had a proper conversation about what happened Mm. i'll give it back I've rescinded that offer because she was so rude about me the next day in the Evening Standard. I went, I don't want your money. What I want is your ear, basically. Why? I want you just to sit up. Why couldn't you just cash that cheque and 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 also offer to be? But I just, want, I just, I just think that she's had a lot of pitfalls and disappointments. And this is me, cod psychology here. Yeah. But from the children that I've raised, basically, all yeah. of them with very troubled backgrounds. Um, there has been nearly no one that my parents have not taken in from very traumatic backgrounds and um, histories of disappointment and being let down and with love and support and a supportive environment and care and continuity, they have churned out some amazing adults, Mm. you know, some brilliant chefs, some wonderful mothers, some absolutely brilliant people, a champion diver. It's like there's... I can't name any of them because it's all confidential, but I'm trying really hard not to name them. But it's, you know, they're all brilliant people. They're all phenomenal people. Um, And I think that, you know, she's had... She had her setbacks. She's... She had... Her epilepsy meant that she couldn't go in the army in the way that she wanted. She's, you know, she was, she did The Apprentice. So she's, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's gone on for her that probably hasn't gone the way that she wanted. And so she probably is a bit angry and is a bit furious and is using that anger now to lash out at other people. It's got attention for it. It's got a following for it. And that can be addictive. When a lot of people on the internet are, like, following you and lapping up your every word, that can be... You think, oh, what what can I say next in order oh, to generate danger, my next, yeah, my next yeah, thing? My and next you see it sometimes with people who you think are great, and then you see them then churning out bollocks for attention, and you're just like, oh, this is tedious. <laughs> just stop. Just sit down. Just, just desist. Just... People will still follow you on Twitter if you don't say anything shit for a week. They really will. They'll just... In fact, they'll hang in waiting to see why you've gone quiet. I mean, Less it's, is more sometimes as well, of course. But I, do, but I think that genuinely... that she can't continue to go down the trajectory that she's going down. She's either going to have to find God or, or yeah. you know, or, or do something drastic in order to sustain the lifestyle that she's got. But I think that really... At the end of the day, she's probably not particularly happy with the image of herself that's portrayed. And yet and has to devote huge amounts of effort to furiously insisting that she's delighted. Someone I I told me a story about um, a male, a man who is also a very controversial character, and my friend's a TV producer. Um, I should say that when I was a single mum in poverty, none of my friends are TV producers. Mm. These are all people I've acquired over the last few years. <laughs> um Otherwise, I could have done a, like, keeping up with the Monroes and just had a, like, follow me in my trashy life around the supermarket with my handful of change. And I'd have been absolutely loaded by now. But um, Yeah, but it didn't happen. (laughs) But one of my friends is a TV producer and said that um, he... um, 
used to look after a guy who is very famous for being very controversial. He's a real big, loud, Larry figure who's very well known for basically being a bit of a dick. Mm. And he used to have to hold his hand all the way to his seat to sit him down because he was so terrified of the persona that he created. He couldn't quite bring himself to step into it when the camera started to roll. And if anyone wants to know who that is, DM me. Live all proceedings, I'm um, not going to say who it is. No, but I, I people create these you. monsters and, I, and these I personas right. for themselves. I hope you're right, because it, 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 allows, it allows you to cling on to the other thing you were saying about believing in the fundamental goodness of people. You do just end up creating these. I see monsters. how easy it is, though, because for a while I was rolled out on breakfast sofas as the resident whinge. Yes. They were literally, they were like, oh, quick, we need someone to get angry with Julia Hartley Brewer over something. Jack, oh, yes. we need someone to have a row with this person about something. Jack, and I would do it because, you know what, I can hold my own in an argument. Sure. I'm good at a debate. And eventually I sat down and went, do you know what I want to do? I want to teach people who are living in poverty how to cook. Yeah. I don't want to talk about children. I don't want to talk about this. I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to talk about other people's parenting. I don't want to talk about why trans women should be allowed to go to refuges they should by the way sure. i don't want to debate it on breakfast oh, television oh, oh, wow that's fascinating but it's because uh, sometimes but, by engaging in the debate you're giving credibility to the other side the other even side. as you destroy Last night, them. jack can you come and debate this person about christian concern about gay cures no, no because you because shouldn't do you be know covering what I'm gay doing? cures i want to do children and adults who are living in poverty and help them out of it and that's is that what your I life's do. work what's next jack that's my life's work that what, is i will devote myself to it until nobody ever? needs anymore you, do yes. from, you, you would yeah. like to run for i was office. going to run for parliament last year and then i got a death threat directly delivered to my letterbox and i just moved house and i was like maybe not today you um, pause. If, if you had to in a sentence and we've only got a couple of minutes left why okay. would you be getting a death threat because anybody who's just listened to this hour or watched it and they would have had some preconceptions about you before some of them would have been challenged, others demolished, others enforced, <laughs> positive and negative. Yep. Why on earth would anybody want to put a death threat through your letterbox, do you think? The ones that I've had, and I've had quite a few, have basically been centred around the fact that I... Some of them have come off the back of um, an article I wrote about Diane Abbott. Mm. Um, I get lots of things now, um, graphic descriptions of how I should die and be raped with acid. And This was things. a defence of... In defence of Diane Abbott. It was, a, it was a, just before the election and it was... A, the, here's what you need to know, basically, yeah. about this woman who's been pilloried in the yeah. press. Yes. None of the media covered it because they were all like, Whoa. and I was like, oh, look, a different story to the one that you're mm. telling. But that got read seven million times in mm. a week. So I was quite happy my work there was done. Diane thanked me personally for it and I saw her do a few weeks later and she literally enveloped me in the biggest hug and it was lovely. Um, but I, get, I still get it. People are still daily, get daily people that? saying you should have your next slit, you nigger-loving whore. Right. On a daily basis, on a recipe book. Is it always racist? Is always, it all, right, always. Okay, then I get it. Um, and some of it is because I'm gay. I should yeah. have my child taken away. I'm a pervert. I'm like, well, I am actually a pervert, but you wouldn't know anything about that because I don't talk about it publicly. <laughs> and, and, you know, yes. we're not going there today either. There are specialist websites for this discussion. This is not it. Um, and, yes, so it's just people just... It's just difference. It's being a vocal woman, term I use quite loosely, but a vocal gay woman in the media who happens to shout about racism every now and then. And oh my God, if there's not something in there to hang me over, it just, it's just not worth the white supremacists getting out of bed in the morning, is it? <laughs> Never stop. I'll try. I mean, it's difficult to stop. Yeah, I, I, I sense <laughs> so, that. I sense so that. I'm on this juggernaut now. I keep going. I'm writing my fifth and sixth books now. Yes. And I got contacted yesterday by a publisher who was like, would you consider doing your memoirs? I was like, I'm not planning on dying anytime soon. Thank you very it, much. Look on it as volume one. But yeah, like Stephen Fry did. Just be like, this is the well, first Kenneth Branagh did it at 28. Yeah, I so, mean, you know, it's quite happily. There's a healthy history. Um, Jack, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so thank much. Thank you very much. And thank you for the tea. It's anytime. lovely. And I am joined now by Rich Cooper, who produces the Unfiltered series and traditionally joins me for a little bit of post-match analysis. Um, I guess even there, I'm about to say she instead of they. Mm. Yeah. But I, I now know Jack wouldn't mind which way round I did it. There's often a danger in the, these kind of contexts that you, you're frightened of offending people and then people who are cross that they're frightened of offending people describe it as political correctness and you sort of get a yeah, glimpse of just how mad all this sucks into the whirlwind a little you can and and, and um jack has lived in this whirlwind for, for 
probably a lot deeper and a lot longer than I realised. Yeah, so uh, I noticed in your introduction you said we don't really prepare for these interviews. Yes. I, would, I would like to disagree. Well, <laughs> you know what I mean. You provide me with information yeah, and yeah, nuggets, yeah. but I never know which bits I'm going to use or sure. which bits, you know, so, like, and, I, and I don't turn up not knowing who these people are. <laughs> but, but with John Amici recently as well, it mm. didn't go down in any of the avenues I was expecting it to go. Yeah, down. yeah. But but in, in the research for it, I read that, um, the, that article that she said about... Um, or was it Hunger Hurts? Yes. So I read that and I it was it's such a raw, candid piece of writing. Mm. Um, and I think part of what we want to achieve in this podcast is giving people window, windows into worlds that they might not have ever been in. And, you know, you see like, poverty, when you hear about it, you, th- you, you have all these sort of like filtered images that come to you through through media or through other other forms, but you don't really know the reality of it. But... That really hit home how you know, like selling DVDs, just trying to get rid of your DVDs mm. just to scratch together a few extra quid. Well, I think what I can't get my head around, and I make no apologies for for, for living in relative comfort, mm. but I have to acknowledge that it is relative. I can't get my head around since being a student, and even then, you always had your dad on the end of the phone. Is 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 actually selling a DVD or, or going down the back of the sofa to get the next meal? Yeah, and that I think is what the right wing media find very hard to forgive is is just providing uh, in- incontrovertible testimony about how possible it is to be that poor in this society that they keep telling us is yeah. is rewarding the strivers. Well, yeah, exactly. It doesn't it doesn't fit with what they're trying to achieve. Like, but I don't know. Like, you know, I'm the same as you. Like, I, we we don't live. Yeah, no. we're not poor. We're doing no. we're doing okay. It's just one of these things that I find it really hard to wrap my head around, like yeah. how hard it how hard it is, and also what you said about you know, you know your, your dad's always on the end of the mm. phone. What if you don't have that lifeline? Yeah. What if that's not available to you? Or, or as, as as Jack explained, if it is there, but you don't want to use it for a whole heap of reasons, yeah. a, whole, a whole variety of of rationales. I mean, it sounds. If so, I mean, everyone who's listening to this now, listen to the actual interview. You would think that we hadn't smiled at all. I laughed a lot in that, possibly second only to Gary Lineker for the yeah. amount of chuckling, <laughs> chuckling and giggling that yeah. went on. And that, that's a testament to what great company they are. Absolutely. For someone who's been through a lot, she's she's uh, she's pretty chucklesome. Well, that was nice, indeed. And, of course, if you have enjoyed this, even a fraction as much as I have, then please leave a review and even a rating on whatever platform you access Unfiltered from. Thank you. You're listening to Unfiltered with James O'Brien. Brought to you by Joe.